about to be a completely unreliable asshole. Hello, Tim. Ryan. Hi. Hello. Hello to Tim, and hello to everyone listening. Welcome to Dismembering Horror, episode 103 of Dismembering Horror. It's the podcast shoe where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan, we dismember a horror film every week, coming from us to you. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film. We're on the quest to see the unseen, to revisit the less visited, to explore the less explored, by by our standards, at least. Um, Tim, anything to add? I'm in pain. Why? Because my jaw is, like, out of whack, and it is painful, and now I hate my life. Are you okay to, to talk? Because this is going to be a lot of talking on your end. I don't think talking has much of a, an effect on it. Chewing is impossible. Ooh, so you're drinking your meals? I'm going to have to start. It sucks. What do... Oh, well, I'm sorry... <laughs> Anything else you wanted to add about the podcast? What we're doing here? <laughs> Why? I just want to talk about my life. Okay. Well, can you do it through the film that we watched, via the film the, that we watched? Yeah. Here, I'll do it through the lens of horror. My jaw hurts and it's hor- It's horrifying. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Tim and I were here to do everything that I already said. And we're going to do everything I already said for the film from 1983. Was it? What a uh, year. Yeah, just a few years earlier from our last film. Something Wicked This Way Comes. Ray Bradbury short story or full full story. I forget. I don't know. Uh, I haven't read it. That's a good question. Is it like a novel or is it? I don't know. But the. Yeah, it's a novel. What excited me was that it is our second film directed by Jack Clayton and was a passion project of his. Does that name ring a bell? Do you remember his last film that we've watched, Tim? No. The Innocence. Oh, wow. Yeah, separated by, what, a decade and change, uh, which is a great film, The Innocence, so it's fun to see him uh, continuing what he does here. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And under the guise of a Disney film, nonetheless, too. This film was part of their, they were trying, I think with like, I I don't know what other, what was it, like The Watcher in the Woods and Black Cauldron. This was part of Disney trying to go to sort of shed their image of being just, just completely like 100% family friendly in the purest sense. But we're like, hey, we can make stuff with gravitas in the dark sense. Mm. And, uh, well, they, mm. they, they got it. Did they? <laughs> I guess so. I guess we'll figure <laughs> out. We'll get into it. Um, yeah. Well, okay. Well, yeah. Then let's get into it and discuss it. So, so, and we start out by doing that, by watching the trailer for our film. So, Tim, you ready to watch the trailer? Oh, 
gosh, am I, I am so ready. I'm always ready for a good, a good 1983 trailer. <laughs> Great. All right. Here we go then. The trailer for Something Wicked This Way Comes. Hellfire storms are coming. An electric storm to clean your streets and wash away your trouble. For every heart, there exists a wish. You ever play the numbers, Mr. Holloway? Hey, uh, never take risks. For every soul, there burns a desire. Oh, I always was. It smells to me like we're gonna have visitors. But never whisper your dreams, for someone might be listening. <laughs> And for every wish, there will be a price. That was only the partial trailer for you listening. But Tim, for us, was that the longest trailer we've watched? It kind of felt like it. (laughs) It did feel long, didn't it? It's got to be up there if it's not the longest one. (laughs) I mean, it's just sort of, I don't know, to me, it's, it's a little indicative of the movie as a whole. Personally. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into it even more. That means. Like, I think I fell asleep during that trailer, too. That means. uh, Ooh. That means. So, after the trailer, Tim, can you segue that into your rating for the film? Would you tell yourself to (laughs) avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? Yes. I can tell you what I would tell myself, which is to stream it if you f- if you really must. <laughs> okay. I just thought it was kind of whatever. There's like that there's elements that are cool that I enjoyed, but as a movie, I was pretty underwhelmed. Man, I thought You'd be all over these elements in it. It's got like, it's got the 80s thing going on, but going back to a classic Americana time, it's got the boys on an adventure. (laughs) It's it's got like uh, all the the practical effects that we always talk about we love from the period. That, the, the effects, really, I dig a lot. Well, this is a... Similar to my Goosebumps rating, Tim, for me, where, like, I got to give it at least a very high rent it. If I had, you know, an excuse to watch a kid's movie more, Mm. it'd probably want to give it a buy it. But that's, I don't know. I'd be close to giving a buy. I thought this was so cool. I thought this, like, I I remembered seeing this as, like, a middle schooler, like, on a rainy day kind of thing, like, being shown Mm. it in class. And whatever, like, the feel was that was there for me then... I like don't remember the movie, but it still, you know, just despite its its datedness, instilled that feeling and carried that that feel and tone. And like, it's one that that's unique, but feels like it shouldn't be the kind of the carnival coming into town, autumnal, like Halloween feel. Kids on the kids on the mission, you know. There's an evil afoot, a sinister man, like. It's just so cool. I love it. And there's not, and it feels like, oh yeah, it's one of these things, but it's not. I mean, I mean, 
Well, it is, but there's not a lot of them. There aren't these, there aren't lots mm. of these things out there. And this is a, whatever it is, it's great. It like translates that kind of Ray Bradbury, like um, mystery and hauntingness, you know, is, is there still in the screenplay, the lyricism, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, man, I give it a, a very high rent it. I'd say, check it out. I was never, never bored. It's fair. <laughs> All right. Next <laughs> is our summary. Oh God. We got we got a train rolling into town. Out of season. They're used to their summer carnivals maybe coming into town. This is based <laughs> in this this town, it's like Midwest. It's it's uh it's basically like Main Street USA Disneyland, but like an actual town. Like whatever that Main Street Disneyland is based on. This is one of those. Well, it's definitely the Midwest and like yeah. the northern Midwest because the the armless, f- legless guy, one, one missing one of each, uh, is really into Northwestern football. Northwestern is in Chicago, so it's got to be in that. I think that's considered a tri-state area. Yeah, it's in Greentown, Illinois. All right, there you go, Illinois. <laughs> so what happens when this train arrives, Tim? <laughs> uh, it becomes a bit of a wish fulfillment um, carnival with consequence. Oh, yeah. And the, the young boys are young lads, Will and... Oh, shit. What's the other kid's name? Jim Nightshade. <laughs> oh, right. Jim. Yeah, Will and Jim. Uh, they... Both precocious oh, in their own ways. Yeah, no shit. They... Wait, you what, know, what, they is that, ra- what does that get... mean? What, what... <laughs> oh, I'll get into precocious it. Precocious to a fault, Tim? Don't you worry. Uh... <laughs> Will and Jim get wrapped up in the mystery of what's going on with this carnival. The uh, so they just can't maybe help but a little explore too it. on the nose, aptly named Dark. Um, Darks. What is it called? Mist- the guy's name is Dark. Yeah, I mean, he's Mister Dark. So it's Dark's Carnival. I mean, for fuck's sake, can we get it? Can we get any more like on the nose? Uh, Could we get yeah. any cooler and appropriate? No. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of them seeing some shit, seeing seeing that that the carnival has a uh, an insidious, malevolent sort of, you know, aspect to it. And then going a and little magi- bit on magical the run. too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they they got to go on the run and not get caught by the. Uh, I guess you could kind of call her like the 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 witch of the carnival in a way. Well, and Mister Dark pursuing them himself. Yeah, yeah, and um, and then it it wraps around with Will's dad and his uh, what would you call his sort of melancholy outlook on life? Um, uh, is yeah. It's part of what feeds the carnival and gives it its power is is people's despair. 
Yeah, he's someone who says, well, that's why I never take any risks. He he has uh, one one big standout regret in his life that he kind of feeds into his, well, now right. that I'm older and way past my prime, maybe it's too late kind of, mm. kind mm-hmm. of mode. Yeah, it yeah, regret and and um yearning for for something that you failed at or never achieved or like whatever seems to be the root of what gives the carnival its power and they are feeding off of people's versions of that small town people with big dreams. Right. Right, and um, you know, and then antics ensue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do they? Indeed. Um, that's. Is there anything else that's really important in the summary? Uh, I mean, they 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 win at the end. They do defeat the carnival. Yeah, it's a Disney movie. They win. <laughs> you say that, so I mean, okay, okay, we'll get to it. Well, some pretty shocking stuff in here for a Disney movie. It it's pretty intense. Yeah, I agree. There's some <laughs> there's some good scary scenes, you know, for a kid for sure. I, I imagine if I had seen this as a kid, I it would be memorable. I thought I wondered going in if I, you know, if I had seen it and just forgotten about it, but definitely not because I would have remembered some of this stuff. Yeah, great. Which is weird, you know, I think 83, you know, I bet my parents were like, nah, that's too scary for him. Because we had the Disney Channel that year, I think, actually, was the year we had the Disney Channel. I didn't know it was that early, wow. Um, Yeah, because I was still in Indiana. We moved in 84, uh, towards the end of 84, so... There was one year, I think, of us in Indiana where we had the Disney Channel. It was a big deal. I watched a lot of Tron. Well, I I don't know if it would have been on on TV That's yet true. at the time, but they could have taken you to see it in theaters. Oh no! I mean, they they had the opportunity to. That that <laughs> wouldn't have happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here. I'm sorry, uh, your kid self couldn't see this film, Tim. Meaning. <laughs> Meaning uh, your kid self in you now and here was not present in your present viewing. Oh, it really wasn't. I tried. I tried. There were moments. Great. I did a lot of, you know, when when things happened, I did yell. (laughs) Like things that were cool. I was like, oh, shit. This movie just got interesting. Well, okay, let's we we got to get into this then here. So let's move on. Move on to our section here. Our first section. Ready, Tim? (laughs) I'm ready. All right. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked for you? Get this out of the way up top, because I agree with him. I always have fun reading the Roger Ebert reviews. Oh no. <laughs> here's here's. I think this is how he how he ends it. Um, and I just wanted to say it because I totally agreed with it and got me excited, and I'll be repeating it throughout. Ebert says, 
of Something Wicked This Way Comes. In its descriptions of autumn days and its heartfelt conversations between a father and a son, in the unabashed romanticism of its evil carnival, and even in the perfect rhythm of its title, this is a horror movie with elegance. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's what he said. This is me talking now. I... I completely agree with him. There's not many horror films I can think of that there's just this like, I mean, no, I mean, so many good horror movies do it. So I'm trying to think of what's more specific. I was going to say like a always present, omnipresent evil, but I think it's just so specifically that this one is of that, like the, the things I already said, that the gray autumnal Midwest, that early, you know, 1900s feel, um, uh, it's it's a, such a mood. It's just such a mood. So I said the carnival coming into town and just like being a kid and having to just check it out because come because of course we have to. Then getting caught up on this adventure. Uh, yeah. And okay. And I guess to get what we were kind of almost going to get to, Tim was uh talk about some of the dark stuff in it, which absolutely worked for me. Just some of the more dark standout moments where i was like wait hold on this is this is what they were they were pushing kids movies at the time the biggest one was when we had uh was it will well both of them see it but will sees himself get decapitated and we see his decapitated head off of his body bleeding like really wow yeah sure for kids um (laughs) and then also similarly like we have then when they're hiding in like the storm drain and Mr. Yeah. Dark is threatening the dad, you know, tell me where they are. He's just squeezing his hand out of sheer like anger or magic or whatever. And to the point where it just starts bleeding and then the blood drips down onto their faces in the, in the, in the gutter. Like, yep, yep, here we go. Um, but I think, I mean, do you, do you have anything to add on all this? Cause I'll keep, I'll keep going. Uh, the spider scene is, a standout i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was cool um yeah that was creepy um okay well that's just a, a different part but I, I wanted more thoughts on the dark stuff that i was talking about i mean where... mr dark's death is pretty intense yeah how what, what did I you think like that, about it i think more than anything was me going you know i was like dude as a kid that's the stuff that i would be like it would stick with you. What, what about it? Can you uh, lay it out oh for us? My God. Well, so he just, he ages and sort of gets prunified, I guess you could say, by electricity. He has sort of an obsession with lightning and, and thunder, the lightning and the thunder. And uh, yeah, his demise is the carousel that can... Uh, it can age you or it can de-age you, depending on which direction it's going in. Yeah. And he kind of gets uh he kind of gets trapped on it by I guess would you say that the lightning and the, the, the yeah, the lightning was kind of the thing that was like keeping him on the carousel. It, it malfunctions like it. Trap- it's yeah, it's like trapping somehow. him. Yeah. Um it, it superpowers it. Yeah, and he ages and decays. And it's, you know, it's kind of like uh, in uh, Quaidon when yeah. uh, we he, it goes in stages where we, we see the the acceleration of his age. You know, every, it, I don't know. He goes from 
kind of wrinkly to like pretty gaunt to like gnarly, like oh hairs God. falling out, like faces just de- decaying to just like a husk. God, and then is... a husk that one of his little buddies walks over and just picks up and carries away. Yeah. <laughs> could, like, yeah, talk about freaky at, at any age, but especially as a kid. It was it was extremely visceral and just yeah. disturbing. Yeah. There's um, a couple shots of Pam Greer's character. The Dust Witch. Uh, that were pretty, yeah, which were pretty freaky. I think that would have scared me a fair amount as a kid. Her introduction got a good a, got a good yell out of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, she was good in it just by having a presence. That was so good. Yep. Um. Okay. Well. Yeah. So. So moments throughout super dark, but I think what what got to me in my my vague memory as a kid of it, and then what really got to me this time on top of all those specific moments. Now, still as an adult, or you could say the kid in me, um, was that it's, yeah, it's not just the dark stuff in the sense of individual moments, but like you always, I always felt this, this present threat through it where like, let's say I didn't know if the dad character was going to get killed or not in the library. And like so often in these kids films, it's always like the kids are separate from the parents and then they have to save the parents at the way end is when mm. they're finally turned to skeptics to, you know, listening to the kids. But but the way that it works in and I should say it was Jason Robards as uh, the dad, Charles. God, J- yeah, I'll tell you what, Jason Robards has never been young. <laughs> right. <laughs> My God. Yeah. He's great. He's so great in this. Um, I mean, honestly, Jonathan Price and Jason Robards are easily two of the greatest actors like of all time. Oh, and they both kill it in this movie. Yeah. They're so good in this movie. They they just they bring that gravitas to it. And any of their scenes together, their big library yeah. match off that they have where, you know, where Jonathan Price, Mr. Dark is kind of he's aware of his regrets and that he wants to be young, all that stuff. And he just tears at his heartstrings about it. And yeah, mm-hmm. J- Jason Robards just has to do what he does or doesn't do. Um, Yeah, they're both so good going about them. But yeah, um. The the idea that that okay, so I was saying was like there's the threat that it feels like the parents could actually get hurt and we're seeing these adults who we sympathize with, you know, because of their their dreams getting getting delivered and then, you know, getting the Twilight Zone retribution in uh, return. Like that's that's just really scary stuff as a kid of this idea of you know this i don't know it's something about this this sense of this safety you know in in parentals or at least something that's different from all the evil and the hauntingness getting just as wrapped up if not more so than you um as the kid um i think yeah you know the the attempt that i think i don't know for me never quite landed where i think it could have but like you know the attempt and and execution for the most part was generally pretty good um it just didn't like really hit home for me but the theme and the uh, the construct of a kid whose dad is older that 
having a kid have to kind of see his dad as an old man. Yeah. And the more, you know, looking at the mortality of that, like knowing that your dad is probably not going to be around like other kids' dads are. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the shame almost that Will feels toward his dad for being mm-hmm. kind of a, I don't know, what do you call it? He's not a coward. He's just kind of a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Like... He's a librarian who's never left the library. Yeah, and he, you know, Will feels ashamed of him in a way. No, I mean, I, I, that, that did get to me. This feeling of maybe is that too, not just. I mean, that's that's what works well for the themes I was already talking about. But him being older age is yeah, feeling that mortality in your parents at a younger age and having to come to terms with that. That is really heavy stuff. Maybe not dark isn't the appropriate word like I've been using, but yeah, it's heavy and and yeah. goes there to that place. Yeah, I mean, it's a everybody knows this. Well, I assume everybody knows this moment or has the moment of like realizing that their parents are are humans right like that they're just people and they are fallible and they can be hurt and they could they can potentially die and do eventually and that that whole moment i think in childhood when you when that for whatever reason you know circumstantially hits home i remember when my dad we were on like a a pretty intense hike and he he just misstepped and like gashed his shin open and like really you know it hurt obviously cuz that shit hurts but like seeing him hurt and potentially not able to like continue on really like hit me hard i was i don't know how old i was uh i maybe was i was actually probably 12 or something like that so i wasn't too far from the kids in these yeah yeah but i remember it really like feeling bad and weird and like oh uncomfortable of like oh shit like he's not this kind of super human superhero-y feeling person in this moment and that freaked me out yeah to have Yes, I just think that that's a really important and like impactful moment that pretty much everybody experiences on some level. And, you know, it's a good foundation for a story for sure. Yeah. And to have that that feeling like I felt it as you're describing it and to sort of have a horror film utilize that, which is maybe one of the unique things about it that I was trying to articulate earlier. It was like, well, what's that? What's the, the uniquely you know, horror, dark mood that this film sustains. And that's that's a big part of it. And then throw on top of that the idea, like I said, exploiting people for just their deepest desires and or regrets. Like that, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, how relatable. Um, well, then, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it is kind of like Quaidon in that sense that it's, it's, you mean the it's, first story? It's allegorical, right? Yeah. Like every story is sort of allegorical in in Quadon, and this mm. that, this has that same kind of vibe where it's like, in a way, each of the main characters, well, each of the town's characters could be their own story. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it's I, all kind of a, it's got a fable sort of. Don't don't 
get too greedy or don't get too lustful and don't or don't get too prideful. It's all it's all of those things. Well, it's great because we do get all those little stories within it. Like I love that we have all these little sub stories and arcs yeah. within it. Um, oh yeah, all adding up the theme from different angles. Um, yeah. So just real quick, let me think about this. So uh, you've got, I mean, it is essentially the seven deadly sins, right? Because the the <laughs> the woman, the teacher is pride. The barber is lust. The banker is greed, or not banker? What is he? He's a it's like the cigar shop. cigar guy. Yeah, cigar guy is greed. Who else is there? The bartender? Who's the bartender? He's the... Oh, he's the guy with no... Yeah, so what is he? Uh... The guy with no limbs, yeah, who's the ex-football star. Yeah, what would that be? Well, it kind of falls apart there, I guess. But <laughs> I was just it's smiling because... some form he... of, like, not being able to live in the present or, like, you know, like... It's kind of pride, too, but not exactly... Uh... I feel like this is a thing you do, oh, to it's me. envy. It's You're... envy. You're always you you you're, I like your head always goes there is like okay can we map it over the seven deadly sins <laughs> it does it's such a common I mean and you know universal thing that's why they exist right mm-hmm. so he's envy and then what's Jason Robards he's he's uh he's kind of sloth in a way where he's just kind of given up mm-hmm. um. Or something like that, because he's not. Nobody's gluttony. Um, I don't think. But anyway, uh, I you know it's always good to have those lines in the water, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it just makes it because it's so universal. We all feel those things, and we all go, "Uh oh, you're in trouble." Yeah. Um, but the allegorical nature of of the story, I think, is really strong and you know from to be honest like most of my critique that we'll get into i think comes down to kind of aspects of of just technical execution but so the things that about, if you're like, a kid you don't really care about or pay attention right, that's to exactly right that's a, i mean i had that thought at a certain point where i was like the things that are kind of putting me off a kid will just it, – it just doesn't exist, right? Like they're they're going to – if anything, they're going to fill in the, in, the, in the gaps themselves and make it that much better. Shout out to our friend Marissa who loves this movie and when I, we <laughs> found out was doing it, was excited. This was, uh, talk about weird too. I mean she just totally randomly without provocation – brought this movie up like two days before we watched it yeah and i feel like that's evidence of this movie is somewhere just below cult you know as yeah. far as a lot of kids you know people our age having a memory of it as a kid yeah um, whether you know i wonder actually if uh the part of no this doesn't make sense i was gonna say maybe i don't i didn't know it or it wasn't like a thing that i came across because of age because you and Marissa are closer in age, like you're younger than me. I'm like, did I just miss it somehow? Maybe. I don't know. It's weird that I've not seen it, I think. Right. It seems odd, but 
somehow managed to slip through the cracks. Yeah, I know. I, I really feel like, yeah, you would have seen this one. Um, I, I'll tell you what. I've seen the cover of the yes. of it for the po- sure. So it must have just been one of those things where it's like you go to Video Barn and you see it a million times, but you never actually rent it. I mean, yeah, and it's it's a... Uh... It's not if it's not streaming on Disney Plus, like you have to get a DVD or a VHS to watch it. And even those mm-hmm. are not cruddy, like the, the version, the DVD master, it's like not a good looking print or whatever. Yeah, unfortunately, that's um, just the way it goes. But yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so I, I <laughs> mean, we, to the movie, we mentioned how great, um, you know, we thought Jonathan Price was as Mr. Dark. And I, I mean, I just specifically mentioned how how he is a big part of that sense of like a real threat. Like Mm -hmm. he's, I I think the film does such a good job and I just love this so much where you, it, it never, it never fully ruins the kind of the, 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 the mystery of how big is this power and where exactly does it come from and what kind of evil is afoot here. We get mm. like just the perfect fun glimpses of it with Jason Robards looking at his library books. And there's something with like a devilish bent to it where it's like he could be a kind of practitioner, you know, working for the devil, something like that. But he's, you get the sense like, how are we going to beat this guy? Like he's, he's magic. He's, he knows what's up. He can like tell when you're lying. He has, you know, all these powers. Um, but there, <laughs> there's just this perfect line where it's like, yet he still has to like physically look for them. And those are some of my favorite things in the way that he did that in this film. Like we have this sort of, uh, I don't know if it's quite the centerpiece, but maybe more toward the second half of um, the parade scene right. where, I just loved it. It's kind of like, you know, the, the hiding, the evil hiding in daylight kind of thing where everyone can see you, um, where they're thrown. Just here's the carnival, you know, walking through town, promoting their carnival, putting on a parade. But Jonathan Jim, Price- Jim comes around a corner and he's like, hey, a parade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, hold on. That's him. He's looking for us. And he is. I love Jonathan Price. He, Mr. Dark. He has this this glare. He's just looking. You can tell he's just looking for the kids. And no one no one knows what he's doing. No one knows what he's, he can just be doing, you know, up to his evil deeds, just out in daylight that with everyone looking at him. And um, same yeah. with when he's in the library trying to track him down. Oh, like the way the door opens and we don't see him come in. And then he's just like next to Jason Robards all of a sudden. Oh, oh my all. God. Oh, my God. You just reminded me of a hilarious edit in this movie. It's really early on when they're introducing the townsfolk. And Jason Robards is uh, I think he's just gotten a cigar and had his little conversation with the cigar guy. And then the the barber comes out and starts doing his little shtick about, you know, looking for a woman who smells like perfume or whatever the fuck. And there is an edit where <laughs> it goes from the 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 barber kind of he's kind of standing in the doorway of his barber shop, and then they cut to Jason Robards for just a reaction, and then they cut back to the barber, and he's in a completely new position next to the barber uh, pole, and it's so super jarring, but like very comical. Like it's 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 as close to just like popping up from off screen as you can get with just an edit and i remember like i i i actually quite like it just because it's so it's just so sort of like 
charming in a way <laughs> of this just it doesn't quite fit but it's fun and funny and it actually kind of speaks to the vibe of the film in general of that that everything is a little bit off in this town and that it and it it kind of sets up how things start to fall apart i don't know i doubt that it was intentional but like it has that kind of precursor vibe to that which i really appreciate <laughs> right <laughs> and there's you know there's little edits here and there that are fun i mean that the spider scene is full of them i mean mm -hmm. just full of amazing edits so yeah you know i wonder mm -hmm. who edited it somebody awesome <laughs> there were two editors on it actually because oh, yeah. i'll get Barry into and art um so uh yeah yeah jonathan oh yeah just our last thing on the parade scene uh not only you know just elements of the town being a little off but uh the the carnival itself being more than just a little off uh in the parade scene i thought it was so cool again like kind of hiding in plain sight you had uh, Mr. Dark's cronies, like they had clown makeup on. So he's like, oh, it's like a, you know, a little person with a clown with, you know, as a clown clown makeup. But you see, it's like there's clown makeup painted over this like weird, like as if they're actually like a weird devil creature or something like they have, you know, the the prosthetics to make them look like a, a goblin or, or a demon right. or something like that. And then they just paint like a mask over that to pass. Um, I, I thought it was such an incredible touch and really eerie. Yeah, I think I think this, the major strengths of this movie are the art direction, uh, the creature design and at times, I mean, it's sort of art. It's a I guess it would kind of fall under. It's both cinematography and and design because uh, that mirror hall of mirrors sequence visually forget about the the 1980s green screen sort of effect thing. But just how it's shot in the mirror. Uh, what do you call that? Hall of mirrors. Yeah. Is, is so cool to look at. And like. It's not always the case with this movie. There are definitely parts that I kind of was like, visually, I was like, that's lame or whatever. But there are shots in this movie that are fucking awesome. I mean, every time there's this, and it's throughout some sort of gorgeous matte painting shot of like- Those a, are really wild to me. Of like a red sky is, is yeah. a lot of them. Um, the tornado coming in. Oh my God, all that stuff. Yeah, is the just... cloud. Like anytime you get that cloud effect that was- uh, how did they do that? They kind of it's it's like you're dropping. Um, oh shit! Oh, right. they, it, yeah, it's yeah, underwater. Not, like how you how you actually create so, that. So yeah, not yeah, not necessarily the, the background matte shots, but yeah, like doing the tornado as yeah by putting some kind of thing inside of water and getting it's this. like it's like ink in water. It's like white ink or something in water is how they do that. I forget. I've watched a thing on um, I think it was Spielberg or probably or, the Poltergeist uh, making of. It's either that or Close Encounters. It's one of those. It, it's so cool. I love that effect. God, I know. Give that to me any day over the CG stuff. Let's try stuff. to make that. Like, let's go make that just for sure. fun. 
I'd love to. Um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, that's how they did their tornado. And like, I love that oh, the so whole cool. the whole end tornado set piece, like not just the, the stuff we were just describing, but like the effects of the, the parts of the carnival, the buildings getting like ripped out and taken away into their tornado. Yeah. Like I was just trying to think of that nowadays is just, okay, it's this, you know, CG thing, blah, 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 you know, don't, doesn't have any weight, doesn't have any feel, mm. but however they did it was probably miniatures or whatever but oh my god everything in that that end sequence as far as um the tornado related stuff was just so cool i mean god tim it was so cool it was made me so happy (laughs) um i also love i'm happy for you the effect, uh, one of my other, I think my favorite overall effect was the carousel scene where it's going, not though, I mean, the one at the end that we already talked about was incredible with his death, but how it's built up with his uh, red-haired crony riding backwards to turn into his little red-haired boy self. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yep. Like, it was that kind of um, image trailing itself effect with like a bit of a strobe and discoloration mixed in there it was like familiar yet i hadn't seen it executed with sort of this uh, however this was uh specific to itself i it's pretty freaky too yeah like that's a pretty scary scene even though there's nothing really overtly like specifically scary it's a the vibe of how that's filmed really is unsettling Oh, I, I mean, that just captured the movie there for me. That was so neat. I loved that scene. Yeah, I hadn't seen anything like it in anything we've watched. Um, and then that who he turns into the little red-haired boy. God, talk about the creepiest stuff in the movie. Like the way he just didn't speak, and he like was getting the kids themselves in trouble by throwing rocks through windows. Oh my god, <laughs> right. he's so creepy. Shit. Yeah. Oh god, I I don't know that. That performance, the casting, whatever combination of stuff, that little red haired boy really, really, Can you really imagine creeps as me an out. adult being reverted. You're still your adult brain. You know everything that you know as an adult, but you get reverted into like an eight year old kid's body. You would fuck with so many people. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like, mean, just imagine what, like, it just seems like. It's just a formula for you to just be a creep, like yeah. as a little kid, because you're you know shit. Mm-hmm. Like little kids are, you know, they're whatever, they're innocent, they they don't know, you know, their ass from their elbow or whatever. But like, if you're an adult brain in a little kid, I give freaky. kids, I give kids a little more credit than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I do think about that actually, absolutely. Um, yeah great yeah the carousel scene the end scene so good i it's hard like i I just want to stress how the the mood again and, and the kind of atmosphere but i can't think of anything to actually add so you know yeah i'm just trying to sort of scan back through in my brain moments that stuck out um I feel like we've kind of covered most. I mean, of them. I I had a lot of fun with the two the two lead kids. Just totally reminded, like, you know, of, of me and whatever friend, you know, whoever best friend I had at the time, kind of thing. Where just the sense of adventure and pursuing it, and I don't know, and the way you kind of were always, I don't know, always sticking up for each other, but always pushing each other too. I I, I don't know. It really it really hit that nostalgia 
not in the movie sense, but you know, in a real life sense for me. Yeah. This is great. At least it worked for you. <laughs> yes, this is what worked. <laughs> it all worked. Sorry, the the datedness. Uh, well, I'm, not I, sure, I'm not sure. You know, there's. We'll talk about it, obviously. But well, I'm good to talk about it now. If you want to get into it, I think we I'm should. Just trying to think if there's any. Oh, what I was gonna say is, I, I back to the uh, parade scene. The reveal, the real sort of reveal of the townspeople who have who have been changed. I think that is probably the scariest element to me as a as a concept and yeah, like the once idea, you see the, them yeah that they like like the barber for example well no i can say the adults aren't safe yeah he's become i mean they've all become these new kind of tr- imprisoned characters in their own they're a prisoner of their own you know desires and now they're being paraded so yeah. to speak and there's something really upsetting to me about that of like, I mean, I feel like it's in a way it, it, it's the um, cautionary tale aspect totally makes sense. Like, you know, they got what they deserve, so to speak, in that. Well, in the framework of like a cautionary tale, but the idea of them getting that consequence unwittingly you know, fall, they kind of fall into it because of their desires. I don't know what it is about that. Cause it, 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 there's no, there, I think it's that there's no like take backs, right? It's like, you can't go, Oh shit. No, no, no. I, th- that's not what I meant. Right. <laughs> you it know, kind like of, this isn't what I wanted. It's that and kind of really freaky to me about that. It's like the fate worse than death kind of sense of being trapped. And then I, for me, it's the helplessness as if, you know, you, to the extent of being paraded around and no one notices or cares. Right. Right. And, and, and then like, it's, they don't go back to normal, right? Like we don't have, it's not like they're saved at the end. I don't think so. I was looking for it. I don't think There's so. There's no, I mean, to me, there was no indication of that. Um, and yeah, again, that's kind of why I've really felt the stakes in this film on different levels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it, I think, for me. On. Yeah, I think that's it. Great. I'm glad you mentioned that because I agree. And <laughs> now let's hear all about what did not work. You ready? I'm ready. All right. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? (laughs) Okay, should I get mine out of the way and I think it will segue into what you have? Sure. Okay. So it, it bugged me when they, you know, they were visiting their, their, the school teacher and, you know, and with a little red haired boy who is the the crony of Mr. Right. Dark and the and the, the little boy, he throws a rock through her window and <laughs> ra- and then, you know, runs away or whatever. And then when she comes out and yells at them as if they did it rather than just staying there, the way they run is just such an admission of guilt. It just bugs me so much. I'm like, oh, no, they just stay and tell her. Oh, no, I swear it wasn't us. I swear it wasn't us. Nope. They book it. Um, that really bugged me. 
That's just a thing that bugs me in like in real life, I guess. And I, then yeah, I I mean I've definitely been in their position in my life as a kid. I remember definitely being like standing next to the kid who did the thing and then getting the blame for it. I was That's a horrible feeling. It's the worst feeling in the world for me is to be telling something, you know, with someone with conviction, no, this is actually how it happened. You're wrong. And then to still be accused. But that's so fearful and important to me. Like even as a little kid that like I would typically stand up to be like, you know, to insist and just mm-hmm. insist and just, I, I was willing to die on that uh, hill. <laughs> <laughs> even as a wee one. Um, and then I didn't get the mummy in the town. Like, I, I there was like I guess it was at the library or some little museum area they had like a mummy that was already there and had an evil ring that like started glowing or something but and but there it was is also a mummy Pam in Greer. the carnival how was he but how she was already there in the town see that I, I yeah I didn't really understand that but like it seems like maybe maybe the explanation is that oh god it's weird because, like, a scene later, you see her glass sort of sarcophagus on the train coming into town. Yeah. But she's already, like, melt or whatever, however you describe her getting out of it in, in the town museum thing. Very confusing. I don't quite understand it. Maybe by her, by, by, oh, God, uh, by Jason Robards. You know, feeding the the museum version of that lady in her little tomb with his being depressed, that unlocks the power of the carnival to show up. Or all of the townspeople, like maybe it's all come to a head at that moment. And then then because that sarcophagus thing shatters, then the carnival can show up. And then we, and then she's transported as an entity I, I, we to. We don't them. need to. We don't it's need to get like into that. it. Whatever the point was, it was confusing, <laughs> and it still is, even with you trying to explain it and to make sense. And then um, the the big finale, like as much as I loved the ideas and like the the performances of this sort of uh, Jason Robards versus the mirrors and his regrets, yeah, the uh, the effects and the budget did fall fall a little short, not totally to where it killed it for me, but just so where I can you know put it in the section what did not work. Yes, I have a big problem with the God. How do I describe this? There's a lack of commitment in the in the filming and in some of the performances of that final scene that does not include Jonathan Price cuz he sells the fuck out of his death <laughs> but the kids and the it's just really clunky like Jason Robards running and grabbing uh Jim off the carousel it just feels clunky it doesn't look good it, it feels it just feels lame kind of like it, it, you know they they just it's like they didn't have a stunt person on on set to sort of like get a good version of that they don't really stress the beats where they should maybe yeah and like 
then the the whole beat of Robards being like we have to we have to be happy because their their power comes from us being sad or being uh, from our despair or whatever. It doesn't land. It's sort of it's like when actors are resisting totally letting go and being super like just goofy, weird, like let it all hang out. It doesn't quite get there. And the kid will doesn't match what Robards is trying to do. And it becomes it just feels like really stilted and weird and doesn't sell the specific goal of that moment at all to me. Because it's not matching the fucking the intensity that Jonathan Price is having as he's dying. Those are not on the same page. I feel like it's got a lot to do with just what a horrible thing to say to a kid. Like I get what they actually meant by it, but Jason Robard having to deliver the lines that essentially say, don't cry, don't cry right now. Like that's, that ain't good. Um, And I could feel like he was probably said something about it and just had to do it anyways. Yep. It it really felt like, yeah, definitely felt like an actor kind of going, yeah, but what you're asking me to do doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. make sense, and I and you're trying you're trying to f- you know fit this thing in the wrong shaped hole, and I'm like I'll do it, but f- it doesn't feel right. Yeah, because rest assured, Jason Robards knows what's up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that dude is no fucking joke. So, so I mean, for for me though, as so inconsequential as far as like. I don't know. I was I was still into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, fine. Like, point taken or whatever. But it bums me out when... When you couple it with the previous cl- climac- climactic moment of Robards in the, in the Hall of Mirrors sort of reliving the 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 thing he has the most guilt over of saving will when will almost drowned that whole moment feel felt really clunky to me too and didn't it just didn't have the gra- gravitas i don't know exactly why it felt shallow but it felt shallow there's a lot of effects going on. I do think that it, yeah, the, yeah, the, the effects sh- didn't help right there. As cool as they are in, in moments, I feel like it shoots itself in the foot a little bit as if Disney was like, hey, can we just add 30% like more like visual magic happenings and right. just like sound effects to accompany them? And it just kind of being like, eh, you know, I don't know, okay. It's an interesting example of like, I think, I get the sense that in that sequence when what we're supposed to kind of get from that sequence is that Robards has come to is coming to terms with his guilt over not being the virile young man who can save his son from drowning. And the reason he comes to terms with it is because Will expresses the fact that he he loves him in spite of that, that Will loves uh charles in spite of this failure i could you know more specific, i could say i just loved that 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 was the classic power of love and family is what saved him i was so, so suckered into it from that no so, I so i it, think Dad. i think that 
moment works. What I think undercuts that moment is a is a production choice to that the result of that success is that the mirrors all shatter around them and so they've kind of they've shattered the illusion of this guilt and they're figuratively and they're literally shattering the mirrors of that the reflection of the guilt is being shattered right that's the sort of conceptual idea of that moment and they clearly it's just a choice they decided instead of actually shattering a bunch of mirrors that they were going to do this kind of effect nebulous in darkness where you see a lot of glass shattering it just doesn't match up with the moment it feels like it feels like a cheap version of of what it could have been and so maybe it's a budget constraint but you know, maybe they were superstitious and didn't want to actually shatter some mirrors. That's fine, whatever. But there are ways to do it to have that impact. And they chose a particular version that I think undercut the moment. Well, so is this an, is, or is this just an example of the way the effects were not working throughout? Because like you're just talking about some really specific things, but like what as a whole makes you made you bored and not want to watch this? Um. Because, like, for me, it's just the mood. Anything like that was just, like, just, you know, three times over, just, you know, uh, just just uh, overshadowed by all the, the the mood and everything else that was working we talked about. I think it's, you know, it's a taste thing, but there's something about the, like, hmm, I'm sure there is a term for this. Um, it, uh, it's... Uh, this is probably not what you would call it, but it feels kind of Pollyannish where it's like it's a little too Norman Rockwelly light feeling of like, oh, hey, ha, we're this small, quaint little town and here are the characters and here are the players. And it there's a it's it's a, the, you can do all of those things without being cartoonish about it. And I think that's where I start almost right off the bat where I was like, it doesn't to me need to have it. It feels to me like they are playing to what they think kids think is is like they're acting like it's for kids in those in certain moments. And then in the darker moments, it's clearly they are not, you know, they're not worried about that. So I'm like, those things actually feel like they don't w match up. And so it's it's almost like a consistency in tone that bugs me. It's this like, is fascinating because, okay, we'll get into it, things of note, but I, I feel like there's okay. a reason for all this. I bet. So there's, you know, there's the kind of quaint, uh, I, I, it, here's what it it feels like they saw a Christmas story. No, oh wait, a Christmas story, a Christmas story. Yeah, the you know the one with the with Ralphie and the yeah the, right. It's the, it's, story. It feels to me. I don't know if that came out before or after this, but it really feels like that. That is a cartoonish version of of storytelling. It's for kids, but it's really everything is a joke. Like they 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 are making a very specific stylistic choice that this is. 
it's lighthearted and jokey and and a caricature sort of movie by having that narration at the beginning like both yeah the of those narration have. thing there are scenes where like in in a christmas story where like you know they do they they literally do like a cops and robbers run around in fast motion and chase each other you know what i mean they're they, like they are accepting this style it's it's like saying oh because this movie takes place in kind of like the 30s that we need to ham it up like the 30s movies did and when you couple that with the depth and darkness thematically and in in the action of some of the darker moments it just doesn't feel right to me and it feels a little insulting to the audience when you're in the cartoon version of things. And I think very early on, I just felt kind of like, I don't feel like I can get in because I, I, I feel like it's just, there's this inconsistency. Now, would you say that, um, as kind of well done in itself and, um, memorable theme wise as the score was, was the score, uh, a, a big part to blame of, for that? Because as soon as you said kind of Norman oh, Rockwell, shit. Like here, are the the character players, the music, I feel like definitely pushes it in that direction. Yes, it does. And I don't now I don't remember what the moment was, but I do remember having the thought they were doing this kind of like almost like a, a um, like a waltzing tuba sort of moment to like emphasize that it's a goofy moment. And I was like, that is the that's the problem. There's there are, there's this weird on the nose aspect in a movie that should not be on the nose to me. Yeah. Like it's it's actually really hurting the movie. Yeah. Um, like, you know, for example, The Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal is a pretty dark movie. It never it, it's super consistent from top to bottom. Right. Like we're in this fantasy world. We stay consistent with all of the elements and. Uh, Never Ending Story does the same thing, right? Like it, it's really consistent in its top to bottom execution, even though you do have different realms. And I don't and know. That's Dark, fine. Dark Crystal, it does. I think I'd much prefer the director's cut or the original cut for Dark Crystal without the narration, even to the point they had it where you couldn't even understand what they were saying in the Dark Crystal, where they were all <laughs> speaking. I would have loved that version, too. That's um, interesting. Yeah. But. Yeah, narration often kills it. This but I think tries to I think it. I guess what I'm getting at is that when you you know consistency, I think just sort of consistency helps, and don't insult or or placate because you think that it's for kids. Like that always bugs me. I think uh, that I agree, and I think there was a better movie in here that was killed by the things you're saying. But hey, it's enough of the vision was retained for me yeah yeah i mean there's there's two other little things that kind of got to me it's it's just i i guess this is also just kind of personal taste i don't like the kids and i i don't know if it's i think part of it what it is or what is off-putting to me about them is that like will talks like an adult and and like not that kids need to not be smart, but it, it it feels like an adult wrote his dialogue 
and it I doesn't thought, work to me at times. Sorry, I mean, sorry. That I mean, fair, but I'm like, oh wow, this is how I talked, and this is the way my brain worked as a kid. It doesn't feel like they're dumbing down and writing to kids. This feels like me as a kid. No, I get that, and I think I think it's a really hard thing to do because the trick is to understand that kids' vocabulary is not that as as uh, deep or extensive and so you can get the 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 intelligent expression of things across but you have to be careful about how they act like the words they actually use at certain times when they're expressing intelligent thoughts or or whatever conversation and i think that like in particular the conversation on the stairs that he that will and and charles jason robards have feels like it's almost really really perfect if because the 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 thing that is happening in that scene is that will is behaving kind of like the parent in this moment and that's great but it it just for me tipped too far into he's speaking like an, how an adult would explain it and it just felt it just felt off and it's a bummer because it was just so close to exactly what i think that scene needed but it didn't quite hit it for me i, I had just the opposite reaction yeah. yeah i'm like i so related to that kid um yeah and, that and may that, be it. That, that may be also the issues. Maybe I was just a really dumb kid, and I don't <laughs> relate to this kid. Well, it, <laughs> it was good casting, I thought, on their part too. I don't know. He felt like he reminded me of me as a kid. I don't know, just kind of like more introspective, and you know, wanting to get in trouble as much as the other kid, but does it a bit more smart. Um, that's a, a dumb yeah. way to say that. But <laughs> the other kid, the other kid, I thought was a little too two dimensional. I think mm. that I think. If you took a little bit more of a um, uh, of a Huck Finn Tom Sawyer sort of vibe, and like they didn't will more so than Jim, but they didn't quite hit in fully fleshed out characters to me. Yes, and I think that was part of what I was like. They just feel a little on the surface. I don't know if that's a product of the of the actors, you know, being kid actors or. You know, it's a fucking tough game. Man, I thought they, that Jim, yeah, who played him, did that great job of sort of being like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I want to be treated as an adult. I want to get into, I want to see what's behind this, this door. Um, mm -hmm. But then you, but then being three dimensional by just, just as, as simple as you give him that stuff with not having a father. And I thought he played it so well where it wasn't over the top, but you could feel where he was coming from. I had good. one thought. I don't know. Tell me what you think of this. I, there was a part of me that thought the kids – it would have been stronger if the kids were about three years older. How old do you think they're supposed to be? I don't know. Ten? Ten-ish? For some reason, I think if they were closer to like in the midst of puberty, kind of 13-ish – yeah. 13 14 that that maybe i would have been able to kind of get in more with them or felt a little better but i i don't know that's a, this was it, like it's again it's a taste thing 
yeah, this was the perfect age for me, uh, or they were the perfect age for me to get into it just as far as I think 10, if that's how old they are, I don't, I can't really tell, but that's what I imagined. And I just thought of being that age where it was like, you could, that, that sense of adventure was just that much more graspable, you know, talking on walkie talkies, that era. Um, well, yeah, I'll actually, ultimately, I think what, what I'm feeling, it really is. It is a taste issue because what I'm realizing is it's the difference between relating to the kids in the explorers versus <laughs> relating to the kids in Stand By Me. And I want to watch Stand By Me, right? Like that's more in in my personal sensibility of like it's a, it's slightly more adult, but it's still kids trying to figure it out. See, by having kids that are closer, that the younger age, it works. And then also having parents, for me, that just plays up those themes like we're already talking about of of you know your your the kids world and the parents world not being separate and that 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 acknowledgement of your parents being mortal like just those few years older you're this kind of at the age of like yeah you know whatever my old man da, 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 da. but here you yeah. still have that i don't know you're you're closer to that heart side yeah i can see that well anyway well, um you wanna I, I think there was one other thing i was gonna say okay Oh shit! What was it? Okay, so there is. I've I've got it. It really revolves around the the kind of the the final. I guess it's not the final chase, but the lead up to the to Mister Dark finding them at the library. And as much as I like this sort of the plotting nature of like. Mr. Dark doesn't need to run after them to catch them. And that's ominous and scary. There felt like to me, there's this whole section of him just kind of standing around. And yeah, he, you know, he's like, I know you guys are in here. And there's the, the him just sort of lurking around the, the library until he finds them. But even when he finds them and he kind of like tugs them around it never really felt like a real threat to me. And I think part of it is that, and I know this is tricky because the it's, it's, it's an aspect of the main themes of the movie, but like Jason Robards is fucking Will's dad and he's in the room and he doesn't just go get the fuck out of here, dude. Like he doesn't, he doesn't put up sort of, any resistance in a weird way it's more it's an intellectual resistance but it's like if there was a dude coming to literally fucking kidnap your kid i feel like you would have a something more of a resistance to that in a literal way like like they just it just something felt like the logic was not quite hitting now if there is a justifiable reason, like, for example, the, the power, the the fear of Mr. Dark is is the roadblock to him standing up to him. And that translates great. But it didn't feel like it was there to the point where I was like, well, dude, why didn't he just fucking go over there and be like, get the fuck out of here? That it. it- I, see, for me, I, that would not have worked. I loved how it was played because w- the moment just before is uh, Jason Robards 
acknowledging the reality of the situation that this is a magical like evil with powerful forces but not just beyond my understanding but i have no way of actually physically standing up against so to if if right after that moment all of a sudden he just started yelling and pushing him or something like that would have i would not have rung true for me no and and that's i i agree it, it it's I think it's actually more what would have would have made it work for me is in in the face of that understanding that I'm up against a foe that is sort of that I'm totally outmatched by if he had still made some sort of like gesture of an attempt to be like I'm not okay with this and that moment that kind of moment of like resistance just never felt like it really happened and i and and so when he's just kind of there wounded from this experience and the kids have been taken it just felt really like i don't know just i I thought he was bummer i thought he might have been dead at that point i was happy he was still alive i i agree i was happy too i mean the whole tearing the pages out of the book uh, you know, uh, one page per year of his life that he could have gotten back. I, I like that. Yeah. But I think actually that's the moment where it could have happened, where something could have happened that felt a little more like a battle. And I, just, I don't mean it has to be a physical battle, yeah. but it, it I, I didn't feel like I was really... It, it it felt like Jason Robards was just watching it happen and crumbling. And I wanted him to something. I, I, I was like, come on, man. Like, I think I was somehow. I think this is where maybe the moments were, I don't know, maybe in translating to a movie, you could have come up with something that would have done that. But for me, like I was... I was as much into it as if I imagine how it was when you're reading the book, where since if if you're with his internal, like, whatever his thought is, then it's working. But like, mm-hmm. I felt like just I could see on his face, his his sort of, uh, you know, understanding of the situation and trying to grapple with it and, you know, thinking all the thoughts of how, how do you, can I get out of this? Probably not. Um, I don't know. Any any of the things that you're talking about wouldn't have rung as as true for me. And I was I was relating really hard to Jason Robards and what what he was yeah. doing is what I would be doing. I, I think that it's a style choice. And if I were directing that scene, I would have maybe used some of the visual like visual tools like a little more cutting to Robards' reactions, you know, like getting a little bit more out of those cuts, close-ups, or use the sort of reverse tactic where every time we cut back to Robards as this progresses, we get a little further away from him, so he he literally becomes smaller in the frame. Like some sort of tool to just really kind of push the 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 cascading consequences that are that we're feeling or just reflect whatever is going on in the inside with him yeah filmically. and and maybe maybe you could get some some mileage out of because they do it a little bit but getting some more cut cuts to wills how th- this is hurting will as well in the moment yeah there's a couple of those and he eventually will eventually yells like don't you know don't do it dad or whatever uh 
But yeah, I just it never quite landed, and I and whatever. It's, that's yeah. why I left the movie. There's a number of those moments that I just was like, not quite. I I think yeah, I really like that that Jack Clayton style of film. You know, we just we're, we're yeah, ooh, maybe it's that's just kind just of all sl- it is. slowly ramping it up. But I do think it was um, in conflict with kind of the the Disney hand coming into play, and maybe that's. So do you yeah, want to get into right. that for uh yeah yeah what did not I'm, for... yeah I'm curious about this I bet All you're right. right All right things of note Things of note <laughs> This should be interesting I can only imagine <laughs> <laughs> Right it's like the age old tale of the studio right. being like, you can't do it that way. So this is right from not the Wikipedia for something with this way comes, but on Jack Clayton, he has like a big block for each of his films on his Wikipedia. So I've just oh, highlighted, cool. I, I, rather than doing the whole thing, I'm going to read about half of it. It's a bit, hang in there. But yeah, some overview, and then we can speak from there. Clayton made the film as a dark thriller, which saw him to return to themes he had explored in earlier films, the supernatural and the exposure of children to evil. However, when he submitted his original cut, the studio expressed strong reservations about its length and pacing and its commercial potential, and Disney then took the unusual step of holding the film back from release for almost a year. Clayton was reportedly sidelined, although he retained his director credit, and Disney spent an additional six months and some $5 million overhauling it, performing numerous cuts, removing the original score to make it more quote-unquote family-friendly, and shooting new scenes, in some of which, because of the long delay caused by the reshoots, the two child stars were noticeably older and taller. According I noticed to, that. that well, we'll get to that, too. Yeah. According to the American Film Institute catalog, the film's principal photography took place between September 28th and December 1981, with additional sequences shot in late 1982 and early 1983. The version of the film released in late April 1983 was a compromise between Disney's insistence on a commercial film with, quote, family appeal and Clayton's original darker vision of the story. To reduce costs, original editor Argyle Nelson Jr. was fired and assistant editor Barry Gordon was promoted to replace him. Gordon was given given the task of re-editing the film, and at Disney's insistence, he was obliged to remove some of Clayton's completed scenes. The most prominent casualty was the pioneering computer-generated animation sequence that was to have opened the film, which depicted the empty train bearing Dark Carnival, Dark's Carnival arriving in the town and magically unfolding itself into place. The much-heralded sequence would have been the first significant use of the new technology in a major Hollywood no, no, no. Keep going. Oh. Keep going. <laughs> I'm just ma- shaking my head because this is fucking annoying Much that this shit film. happens. But it was almost entirely deleted. And in the final cut, only one brief CGI shot was retained. Another Clayton sequence was that was removed featured a giant disembodied hand that had reached into the boy's room and tried to grab them. This was deleted by the studio on the grounds that the mechanical effect was not realistic enough and it was replaced by a newly filmed sequence in which the boy's room is invaded by spiders. In 2012... <laughs> co-star Sean Carson. Uh, side note: In 2012, co-star Sean Carson recalled the harrowing experience of having to film the new scene, which was entirely done using real live spiders. Bradbury was asked to write new opening narration to help clarify the story, and new special effects were inserted, including the cloud tank 
storm effects. Last but not least, another major disappointment for both Clayton and his musical collaborator, Georges Delarue, was the loss of the original score, which Disney rejected as being too dark. It was removed at the studio's insistence and replaced by a new score written by James Horner. So you can see why I asked you about the score earlier, Tim. Man, you know, it's such a weird thing because I feel like James Horner has done some good stuff. Well, it's a good score, but it's just what Disney wanted and wasn't, right, I think. Right. So I thought as a fun um, AB, do you want to compare the two scores? Hell yeah. All right. So I'm you saying- ha- Wait, there, so there's access to the old score? Yeah, it was released in, um, I think, the in 2011, something like that, for the first time ever. Got out of the vault somehow. Damn. So- Here's a link to that. We know the, uh, we'll, we'll play the, okay. So here's the, here's the original music. Here's an example of the score as it actually is. Sorry, not the original. Here's an example of the score by James Horner upon Disney's re, uh, finding of a new composer. So this is how it is in the movie now. Now, yeah, here's a little listen to Georges de la Rue's original score, deemed too too creepy, <laughs> too creepy for family-friendly audiences. Pretty eerie, right? In comparison, definitely more haunting. Like no yeah, question about just that. Straight haunting strings like that. Oh, yeah, well, def- yeah. There's yeah. There's a different sort of musical. I don't know. I mean, like th- how to describe this in musical theory terms. But like, there's definitely a less um, a, a a less typical chord change style it's much much darker and ominous and you know unexpected and i think that's what you want in something like this from a score rather than a paint by numbers score which seems to be kind of what we ended up with the the painting just as in uh what was the the norman rockwell (laughs) feel right right yeah (laughs) the safety of that that the that the, the, the I keep wanting to say original the score as it is now the released <laughs> the score. released score yeah. yeah yeah that's really interesting how I'm God I mean how much music can affect the outcome of of a viewing is well, insane so would you say that uh, George Le Roux's original score would have been um, more fitting for you not d- not as you put it uh, you know dumbing down so much. I certainly think it would have helped. Yeah. Well, now I think it also would have created a consistency potentially that that I was, you know, missing. 
And I mean, do you also think you may hearing about how Clayton was taken off the project? And I mean, how... that's just unacceptable. He he had. I mean, you could. It says you know Clayton's version of it, his vision of it was darker overall. Yeah. Well, I guess at the end of the day, it's uh, you know. I'm just not surprised. It's, right. It, yeah, I, like, I think we've we've said this before where it's like we kind of come to this conclusion when we start to dig in where we go, whoa, why did that movie feel so fucked up and clunky and just not work in certain moments? Like it really killed the movie and we ended up not liking it or whatever. And then we read into it a little bit and it's like it's always the same bullshit. You know, the fucking yeah. some – producer or studio people got involved and just said no and hacked up the original vision and turned it into something not as good i know i feel like out of all that you know it's you hear a lot of it you know release the snyder cut of all these (laughs) alternate cuts directors cuts that exist um this was right up there now for the ones i wish i could see i think next to uh the cable guy I want to see Ben Stiller's original cut of that. It was supposed to be much darker. Holy shit, that's interesting. I didn't yeah. know that existed. Yeah, um, but I know it's a, it's a shame. This what this movie could have been because you think of the innocence, you know, and uh, Jack mm-hmm. Clayton being allowed to to see through his vision, and you can totally feel. I don't know. I I can imagine Disney just trying to redo that film and it being like this. You know, <laughs> I mean, shit. The innocence was twenty years earlier yeah yeah it was um he had a he had a stroke in the mid 70s and this was his passion project so he i think had recovered um in the early 80s and and finally was able to make this film um there's some i mean in the uh the history of this as a as a story is really fascinating to me because it says here that bradbury actually wrote the screenplay for this in 58. Yeah, it was a big old honking version that he's just trying to get made with uh, Kirk Douglas. That's crazy. And then that screenplay got turned into the novelized version. So that's pretty unusual. Yeah. Huh. That's wild. And then obviously it just sort of sat in, you know, wherever it sat for 20 years. And <laughs> yeah. That's crazy to me. I mean, it's cool. Finally came out. Um, hmm. So the we also have for things of note, Tim, is where we try to mention any indelible <laughs> moments. Yeah. So you were laughing over it. I wanted to make sure. Indelible moments is what I said. Um, yes. Uh, and so the, the, the one that stood out to me is actually explained by this, where I was so taken out of it and thought it was so weird that like at the end of the spider scene or whatever, or during it, like they wake up in bed and are clearly older. And I, <laughs> yes. I, I thought it was like different actors, the dark haired boy. I did too. I, I, I and thought I, it was legitimately new people. Yeah. I thought we were like, Oh wow. So because something about the magic just made them grow up five years or whatever. And right. this is our, this is where the story's going. And then it was just not addressed. I was so, <laughs> it's very, very indelible. And I'd also say then just on top of that, um, the kind of the moments I mentioned earlier, anything involving the blood and him seeing his decapitated self for a yeah. kid's movie were pretty indelible. I, I think, I think Jonathan Price's death really was <laughs> the one for me. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, probably actually just <laughs> just his little husk body getting picked up and taken away at the end is, is really the thing that stands out. I love that. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is so silly, but like, it's just, it's just the kind of weird thing. I don't know. It's just kind of interesting is um, the the two, the people, the, the boys who played the two boys, they the 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 boy who's the blonde one was brown haired and the boy who's brown haired was actually blonde haired so they what? they dyed their hairs opposing colors so that <laughs> he could be a little blonde boy with glasses and he could be a, a boy with dark hair <laughs> wow this <laughs> is like so weird it's just so random <laughs> wow but we just okay, died sure <laughs> right like sure. it's that I mean, important well could you also have just swapped those that one line where it matters where Jonathan Price says like this boy has dark jet black hair and this boy has is toe headed or whatever they yeah. he says like couldn't you just change the line? <laughs> Apparently not. I guess it's not. Just dye these kids' hair. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, well. Great, great. Well, I mean, that's that's what I had for things to know. It was just kind of that interesting, the movie that could have been always, yeah. always tragic. Ugh, no kidding. Great. What a bummer. That <laughs> stuff always really just ugh, hurts my soul. Well, anything else for <laughs> Something Wicked This Way Comes, Tim? Hmm. No. Great. Then I think we're safe to move on to our recommendations. What would you like to recommend, Ed, this week? That is a good question. What would I like to recommend, Dead? Let's see. Did I watch anything exciting this week? Not really. Uh, Oh, you know, I started Preacher. Have you heard of Preacher? Is it a comic book? It was a comic book, yep. And they, I guess it was FX, I think, did a series on it that I never got around to. So I watched the pilot yesterday or the day before. And, um, dude, it's gory and fun. It's quite, it's really fucking well shot. Like just the the look and aesthetic I really, really liked. Uh, We'll see if I, you know, stick with it. But (laughs) there's some some really good gore and it's got just a, you know, a hint of humor within the, the gore that I love. So it's, you know kind of harkens back to a little bit of that Evil Dead 2 style. It's not quite as as slapsticky as that, but it's it's just enough of a hint of some of that fun, you know, humor within the gore that I, I quite like. So, yeah, I, I'd say check it out. At least watch the first episode because it's pretty fucking fun. Of what again? Preacher. Great. I will recommend Dead. I was very taken aback by this film on Saturday morning. I put on, I'll try to like, I'll, I don't know, Saturday mornings I've gotten the habit of going to the, the Criterion Collection streaming service and trying to find something that's not not super heavy or maybe, you know, they have like a, a Saturday matinee section. But uh, they had been talking up um, this film called Tokyo Olympiad, a documentary. I thought of you during this, Tim, so I'm like especially recommending to you, you recommend deading this to you um but do you like are you aware like throughout the history of the olympics they've they've almost often had um uh, a film being made at the same time sort of documenting them or there's like a long history of films on the olympics no not really i mean i guess i kind of vaguely 
I don't know, never thought about it, but it makes <laughs> right. sense. Yeah, no. And boy, to, like I've never gotten into the Olympics. It's kind of like any sports. They're Ooh. something I could appreciate. And I, I imagine the summer Olympics. I know. I, I could really imagine you being into them. But Tim, if they were all done this way, like, oh, my God, I'd, I, I'm so into it. But I mean, I got to recommend it just for recommend it for the uh is so well done. There's like an intermission. It's this epic three hour, you know, coverage of the whole, I think it's the 1964 summer Olympics in, in Tokyo. And, um, the way just kind of, it's, it's, you could say it's heavy handed, but for me, it was just the way it was just, uh, it's just cinematic and boisterous of just really getting the, the ideas across of just like when all the countries were marching at the beginning and even like the, the delivery of the torch, it was super moving and emotional, just like the display of humanity it all was and just all the countries like cheering each other on, like, you know, that not having division in that sense. Um, and then, you know, ended on the similar note of everyone's, Everyone's waving, um, you know, white, little white uh, handkerchiefs or whatever. Um, so, I mean, that just, it, it really, really got to me. It, it really, yeah, uh, made me feel a lot. And um, and then on top of all that is just, you know, then they go through each of the events and just incredibly shot. Like this film, the way it's shot and edited is just some of the most like stunning like shooting and editing I've ever seen in anything. Like it was, it cannot, wow. I cannot overstate it. Understate it or overstate it, I guess. You can't um, overstate it, but you can understate it. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't think of anything else to say about it other than you should check it out. Tokyo. Do you remember Olympiad. who, like, who made it? Like, who was the the U, the U.S. wins a bunch um, because there's so many people. I guess that's how it kind of works in the Olympics. Um, but then you know they didn't always win. Is cool. there an overall winner each year? I didn't know that. No, 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 no. What I meant is like who made the documentary? Oh, oh, who made the documentary? Is it um, like an American made, you know, is it an American no, company? Or is it like a sort of is it, no, particular it was a Jap- filmmaker? It was a Japanese um, production done by a Japanese filmmaker named Kan Ichikawa, who is kind of known as being like he could have been up there basically if. Uh, you know, the Kurosawa's and the famous Japanese directors, but uh, he had such a huge output because he was really um, kind of like the four hire studio guy. But from all his collective, he does have like a handful of kind of films where he was able to sort of put an artistic vision more on it or that he or I guess better put, he more deeply cared about the sort of themes involved in it and sort of really went all out. So Tokyo Olympiad is one of his main ones um, where he's able to do that. On Ichikawa's uh, Tokyo Olympiad, and talk about studio meddling. Apparently, there's another version of it where the Japanese government or whoever like went in and like tried to make something just much more stoic and deliberate, and like just highlighting all the Japanese, you know, of course, wins yeah, yeah, and yeah. like that angle. Um, yeah, but yeah, you got to watch it. It's great. Cool. All right. Well, that's that's for that. How about next week's film? Let's figure it out. Let's. Figure it out by first figuring out what I did with the hat. Wow, that was a, a Nickelodeon show. You just brought me back. It's, it's called Figure It Out. Really? And they'd say it just like that. Okay, I've got the hat. Is it your turn or my turn? I think it's your turn. Okay, then I'll then I'll just reach in here and this one. 
Oh shit, dog. Going back to 2015. <laughs> this is a film called Demon. Demon? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yep, there there it is. Yeah. Uh, I you know, I love me some demon stuff. Yeah. We'll see if it's any good. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? 2015 could be a real hit or miss. A uh, Polish film. <gasps> oh, shit. No, cool. I know about this movie. So. Uh, it's really fucked up. And I believe this is the movie that the director died before it was finished. Wow. I think that we'll find out. But I think this is that movie. And there's some. You know, there's obviously, like, lore about, like, maybe he shouldn't have made a movie about satanic possession stuff. Like, there are people who are like, well, it it got him. I think that's this movie. So we'll check it out. That, but if it is, then cool. Great, 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 great. Demon. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been having fun with this. We're, we're, we, are, we don't have separate seasons, but as far as, like, our batches of hat pulls, this has been, uh, the second one's been fun. I know, I mean, right? It, it all has been, but, you know, it's exciting. We still have all this territory to traverse. Definitely. Great. Cool, dude. All right. Well, that's it, guys. Let's just, let's just wrap it up then. In closing. In closing and in wrapping it up, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>